But go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with uh, today as we study God's word. We believe in taking notes. And one day I will convince you all that we believe in taking notes. And so grab that out. Of course, you can download the VHC Church app uh, on your phone from whatever app store you use. And so we've got the fill in the blank version of the notes there as well. All the verses, all the points we'll have today. uh, You can grab those as we study God's word. If you haven't noticed, it is like a billion degrees outside now, and so we are into summer. Uh, if you've been living under a rock and you haven't just haven't noticed yet, uh, we are into that wonderful season of Louisiana that lasts for about eight months. And so uh, we are just, I guess we're going into it. It seems a little hotter than normal, so I don't know if you've noticed that either, but I'm sweating a little bit more. But we just, we enjoy the summer around here. They're kind of legendary to us as Louisianians. And it honestly, if you meet anybody who hears about them, you realize that they don't understand what summer is, all right? They just don't get the idea. But what we normally do as a church is throughout the year, we study the Bible in series. And so we have a particular topic or a character study uh, or a book of the Bible that we work through. But then during the summer, uh, we do what we call summer at victory. And that is just kind of standalone messages each Sunday uh, that maybe don't need an entire series to themselves, but they still need to be studied. Uh, Maybe some topics that I think it'd be good for us to work on as a church. And so I want to kick off this series that isn't really a series uh, with one of the topics that I love the most out of the Bible, and that is the topic of faith. Uh, We have talked about this a couple of times in the last couple of years, but I just want to talk a little bit more about what the life of faith should look like. I think it's a good kind of tune up here at the beginning of the summer. Uh, It's kind of you remember when you were a child in summer, you forgot everything you learned right over the summer months. And so we're going to try to do a little bit of a tune up. Uh, before we get started into the rest of what we're calling this Summer at Victory series. And so I want to go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20 to start. The Apostle Paul has just planted a church uh, in Ephesus. And so now he's traveling to Jerusalem and he kind of gives this uh, this farewell speech to these elders in Ephesus. And he kind of gives this picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to live on this journey of faith. And so we're going to study this. We'll start in verse 22. He says, now I'm compelled by the spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life, watch this, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so Paul, at this point in his ministry, he understands what his life is about. He understands what his ministry is supposed to be. And he's heading into this next season. But he gives us in this very simple passage, he gives us his example. Honestly, he shows us what he does to live the life of faith. He displays on full display what his life looks like as he gives this farewell speech. As he moves between planting the church in Ephesus and going to Jerusalem, he shows what it means to live the life of faith. Verse 22, we'll go back and kind of walk through this. He says, now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. So he's like, my focus is on Jerusalem. I'm compelled by the spirit. See, Paul went from city to city planting churches. You probably heard about the apostle Paul at some point. And so he would plant churches all over the known world at the time. And so he'd go from one place to another. He would preach the gospel. He would display Jesus. He would with boldness in the city squares. He would plant a church and then he'd move on and plant another one. And he would go anywhere and everywhere to tell them about Jesus. So understandably, Paul got thrown in prison a whole lot. Come on, somebody. Paul endured a lot of hardships, a lot of shipwrecks, a lot of different things that happened in his life, of beatings from all the things that happened to him in showing this message and giving the gospel of Christ. And so at this point in his ministry, now he's saying, I'm headed back to Jerusalem. 
He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. And so the first thing he set his focus on that first thing we have to do if we're going to live a life of faith is we have to set our focus. Paul throughout his life, he didn't let the shipwrecks, he didn't let anything else kind of derail him. He knew what his purpose was. And so in this season of ministry, he sets his sights on Jerusalem. He says, I'm going there. And I think too many times we get distracted in our lives and we don't have a focus at all. We say that we are Christians and Christ followers. But if I were to ask you, what is this season about? What, what is the season that you're in? What's your focus set on as a follower of Christ? Oftentimes we wouldn't be able to answer. Oftentimes we're like, well, I'm just kind of existing. You know, I'm just, this is just a season of waiting. I'm just waiting. We've been talking about that a little bit on Wednesday nights, what seasons of waiting actually mean. But too often times we lose our focus. Too often times we think, well, I am following Jesus, but I don't really know what this focus of this season should be. But we got to set it. If we're going to live lives of faith like Paul lived, he said, I'm focused, I'm compelled by the Spirit on Jerusalem. And what I want you to see here is when he says, I'm compelled. I'm compelled by the Spirit. That word compelled, there is an actual, it's like being bound. It's like, it's almost like he didn't have a choice. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is leading me. I'm so compelled by the Spirit that it's almost like I have to go in this direction. And I wonder how many of us are living lives that are compelled. How many of us are living lives with a focus that we are compelled by the Spirit? And I hope that we are. I hope that we are living lives compelled. Because if we're not, I think we're missing out on a lot of stuff that God has for us. That he's compelling us to live this life that he's called us to live. Because here's my belief. I believe every single one of us has a calling of God on our life. I don't believe that it's just this one overarching that's just, you know, you just kind of fall in line and somebody else will do it for you. I believe that every single one of us has been called by God to make a difference in this world. That God has placed us at a specific time and place to make a difference. And so I would just ask you, what are you compelled by? What, what, what thing do you have that's so, so wrapped up in what you need to do? Because Paul said, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm compelled by the Spirit to spread the gospel. And I wonder how many of us are compelled that we're living lives that are compelled. Because there should be something. We talked about this in March. There should be something inside of you, some overarching passion that God has placed inside of you that aligns with spreading the gospel and building the kingdom. But there should be like a people group or an injustice or something that you see that so wells up inside of you that you say, I need to make a difference in that area. There should be something that, that you just can't stop thinking about or, or a people group that you just you see in your mind every time you close your eyes that you feel called to reach. We should be living lives that are compelled. And so maybe for you, it might be those who are hopelessly lost in addiction. And you feel like, I would just want to bring the truth of God that would set them free. Or maybe for you, it's those who are living without a home or it's those who live in poverty. Or maybe it's just those who have walked through a trauma or an emotional pain. You, you have this compelled, you, you feel this, this anger and you feel like I need to make a difference in that area. What is that for you? What, are we living lives that are actually compelled? Because Paul says, I'm compelled by the Spirit. It's like, I don't have a choice. This is who I am. This is what I am called to do. So we need to live lives that are compelled. And I believe it's on us as a church that the Spirit of God would lead us and call us to look at those areas, to see people who are hurting and people who are desperate and people who are misused and people who are abused and people who have these needs and say, it's not going to happen anymore on our watch. I believe it's us to, up to us as a church that we begin to reach out and say, no, no, God loves you too, just as much as he loves us, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. What are we compelled? What, what, are we, what are we reaching out to? What's this season about? Because I think here's the problem that oftentimes, honestly, even works its way into the church, and that is it is easier to live complacent than it is to live compelled. If we're just honest with ourselves, it is easier to live complacent than it is to live compelled, but we have to be compelled by the Spirit. Paul says, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. 
Because honestly, I was thinking about this last night. It's easier to dance around the pain of others. It's easier to dance around the issues. It's easier to dance around injustice than it is to wade into the pain of humanity and actually make a difference. It's just easier to live complacent than it is to live compelled. And you say, well, why is that? Why do we end up on the sidelines so often? And myself included, everybody. I'm not taking myself out of this and preaching from my high horse. This is something, honestly, just comes as a default. And we say, well, why? Why do we end up on the sideline? And Paul, honestly, gives the answer in verse 24. Paul gives us a secret watch. He says, however, I consider my life, read this with me, worth nothing. I consider my life worth nothing to me. And I was reading through that and thinking about it, that Paul actually is, he's not just making up words. If you look at Paul, he lives what he preaches. And so he says, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul is saying, I know what my life is supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my compulsion is. I know what the Holy Spirit is leading me to. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing. And I think the problem oftentimes for us, not only just in our Christian walk, but maybe in our culture, in our American Christian walk, the problem so oftentimes for us is we begin to consider our life worth something. When we depart from the life of faith, oftentimes is when we consider our life worth something to us. Because listen, Paul had a lot of successes Paul had a lot of interest. He had a lot of things he was good. He had a lot of successes in his life. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, right? He could trace his bloodline all the way back to the original tribes of Israel. That was a big deal in his day. Paul was incredibly intelligent. He was in the Jewish society. He was at the top of the top, but he was also a Roman citizen. So he spoke a lot of different languages, incredibly educated, was learned under one of the greatest teachers in the history of the Jewish nation. Paul had a lot going for him. And he still said, I consider my life worth nothing. Spiritual pedigree to the max. And then we knew he had a career. It said that Paul was a tent maker. And so he would actually have this career so he could fund his traveling ministry. Those who love to travel, you're like, I identify with that, right? I work so I can travel. That's why a lot of you just keep a job just so you can go overseas and travel all those different things. But that was Paul. He worked so that he could fund his traveling ministry. But we knew that he hated it because we only get like one verse about tent making. Like Paul Paul must have hated his career. Some of you relate to that. Paul just hated his job because we get like, we don't even get like, how do tents relate to your spiritual life? Here's a five point. We don't get any of that from Paul. All we get from him is like one verse. Yeah, I made tents and that's it. So we know he hated that. But Paul had a lot of different passions and pursuits. One of the reasons I love Paul's writings the most, Paul loves sports. He would write about wrestling and boxing and racing and running. And I forgive him for the running. Come on, somebody. I just, I, I can forgive him for that. But I love Paul's writing because he loves sports. He has all these different interests in his life. But at the end of the day, Paul said, I consider it all nothing in light of sharing the gospel. Paul said, I, I have these interests. Nothing wrong with that. Paul said, I enjoy those things. I like those. But while he loved all of those things, nothing wrong with that. It meant nothing to him in light of sharing the gospel. Saying, I consider my life worth nothing. And I think somewhere along the way, we've gotten to the place in our Christian walk that our sports mean something to us. It's not just something that we like to do. They've suddenly, they mean something. Or our ability to go wakeboarding on the lake on the weekend, it means something to us. Our kids' travel basketball means something to us. 
Which is the only thing I can imagine, by the way, that would explain how some parents act on the side of some sports teams and basketball courts, everybody. Because we have a school in the back, but we also go out to baseball games and all the rest. And if you've ever seen a parent, if you've ever seen, and I have been that parent, so I am not, I'm preaching to the choir today. But if you've ever seen it, this explains, by the way, how they act in some areas. Because I hate the refs too, everybody, all right? I understand that they are all blind and they all make mistakes. If you are a referee today, I apologize to you, but it is true, all right? They make mistakes. But at the end of the day, my self-image and my worth is not wrapped up in the performance of an eight-year-old on the field. Come on, somebody. Because you're looking at some and you're like, bro, this ain't about your kid. This is about you. This is about you. Because it's not wrapped up in all of that. I love it too. And while I want my child to beat the tar out of your child and you want that the same for your kid as well. At the end of the day, it's not where our worth is. And I think too often times we have allowed our lives to mean something. And it may not be sports for you, whatever it is that you've allowed to creep up in your life. We've allowed it to mean something to us. Allowed it to mean something. Because at the end of the day, nobody cares who won. Two weeks, everybody will forget. You can reach the top of your division, the top of the professional, whatever it is, and everybody will forget about you. It's not what matters at the end of the day. Too often times, though, we put all of our focus and all of our energy and all of our passion into something that doesn't really matter anyway. And at the end of the day, we finally realize, maybe too late for some of us, that honestly what matters is people, because people are the only thing that pass into eternity. But we spend all of our life letting our lives mean something, letting our things mean something. And when that happens, when they mean too much to us, honestly, our hearts grow cold. And we stop living with a passion for what God has compelled us to. We stop living with that. We have to remember this life is not about this life. God puts a burden on our heart. Then we go on to our next chapter in this, in this text, our next verse, verse 22. He said, I consider my life worth nothing, but compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. He said, I'm compelled and I'm going, I'm carried, but not knowing what will happen to me there. And this is where I think the sticking point of Paul's faith comes for a whole lot of us. Point number two, we have to step out in faith. Paul said, I'm compelled. I'm living the life of faith. The Holy Spirit is leading me. I consider my life worth nothing. And I'm going to Jerusalem. Whether you like it or not, I am going. I am compelled. But I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. And none of us like that. None of us feel comfortable with that. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like taking steps where we don't know what's going to actually happen to us. We don't like, because a lot of us are like, Lord, give me the 50-year plan. Like, I got to have it in writing, and you got to sign it, Lord, and we got to have this worked out before I ever take a step on that path you're calling me to. You want to compel me, Lord, that's great. I'll be compelled, but I'm not taking a step unless I know what's going to happen afterwards. And that's not how God works, everybody. Because too many times we want the next 10 years all laid out. We say, show me every situation that could happen. Show me all the contingencies, Lord. I want the facts. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. Come on, somebody. God doesn't give every single detail to us. And he doesn't do it for a couple of reasons, I think. The first one that I am convinced of is God doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen because it is so crazy that we would not believe it. Come on, somebody. That if he were to lay out everything and say, this is what you'll walk through and here's who you'll reach and this is what your life will look like and these are all the things you are... Con- this all of a sudden, we would look back and be like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, Lord, I, I praise the Lord. That's a great, but that is a bad plan. That's not going to happen to me. Let me look. I, have that. I can tell you, we have walked through some things around here in the last six or seven years. Not only from just the campus and the school and in my own family, in my own personal life, in the own life of the church. We have gone through some stuff that if God had told me this is the path that you will walk through, 
This is how it's all going to work out. This is how you're going to get from A to B. I would have been like, God, that is a bad plan. I am not like, I don't <laughs> you. I praise the Lord. That is bad. That is. I, let me show you my plan. I think I have a better. But that's not how God works. Because God looks at us because we oftentimes, I don't know if you do this consciously or subconsciously, but oftentimes we will say, Lord, I've got a great plan. Let me just lay it out for you and you just get on board. Because it is a good one because you've got a bad one, God. I just don't, I don't like that plan. This is, and God looks at us and says, no, no, I have a plan for your life. And it's a good one. And here's the kicker. It's better than yours. And too many times we don't believe it. Too many times we won't agree to it. But we say we have to somehow in our pride and our ego lay down our plans for our lives and understand that God's plan is better. That his plan for our lives is better than what he has for us. But we get uncomfortable with that. And I'll show it to you because in verse 19 or in chapter 119 of Psalms, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. This was the reading, by the way, this morning. If you follow along in the one-year Bible with us. Uh, If you read in the app or in your own Bible with the handout, this was the reading out of Psalms. That your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But so many times we are uncomfortable with that. Go ahead and cut the lights, everybody. So we're going to make this as spooky as possible today. Come on, somebody. I think if this was written today. Oh, look at that. We can see everybody on their phones today. Look around, everybody. This is. Yeah, we're going to we're going to have a conviction meeting after. I think if this verse was written today, it would say, Lord, your word is an iPhone to my path. Come on, somebody, because nobody carries a flashlight anymore. Right. Nobody's got. But here's how it looks. We say, God, I want the next 50 years. God, God, show me my next steps. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your word is a light to my feet and a light to my path. And so too often times we're saying, God, show me steps seven, eight and nine. And we're barely getting steps one and two for today. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, let tomorrow's troubles worry about themselves. Too often times we're looking ahead and we're never living in the day God has called us to live in. We're never living with the passion, the compulsion. We're never doing what we're supposed to do in the season that we're in. But what God's word says is his word is a light to our path. And so instead of asking for step seven, eight, nine, we say, Lord, what's step one and step two? And watch this. When I take step one and step two. Then suddenly I see what step three and step four is. When I actually am faithful to follow God in the steps that he's called us to step in, we see what his calling is on our life. Then suddenly he begins to illuminate, okay, here's the next step. But we have to take step one and two to see what God has in store. It's a life of faith. Go ahead and turn the lights on before I walk myself off the stage. Come on, somebody. <laughs> that'll, preach, that'll preach to somebody. That'll be the... But too often times we ask for step seven, eight, nine. We're not willing to even take step one and step two. And we say, Lord, I I don't want to step out until you show me everything that's going to happen. That's just obedience, everybody. That's not faith. If we just say, Lord, if I only see the end before I start this thing, we're living in obedience, but it's not faith. Bible says we have to live in faith and we have to call. Faith is trusting when we cannot see. Faith is trusting when we don't understand. Faith is trusting that God has a good plan for us, but being willing to take the step, not knowing what 8, 9, 10 is, but not caring because God has called us, compelled us, shown us what we're supposed to live. That's what a life of faith looks. So Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm stepping out in faith, but I have no idea what's going to happen to me there. And then here's the deal breaker for all the the rest of us. If stepping out, not knowing what it is, because here's the reality. He says, I do know one thing about what's going to happen. I don't know what all that's going to happen in the spirit. I don't know all that, but I do know one thing. Watch this back in Acts. I know in every city, the Holy Spirit, he's already told me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
Paul said, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I don't know about the spiritual victories. I don't know about all the things God's going to do. I don't need to because I'm compelled. I'm still going no matter what. But here's one thing I do know, and that is prison and hardships are inevitable. That this is what is facing. I know this is going to happen to me. I know this is what's going to happen in my... He said, I know these things. And I just want to remind you that we have that same assurance, everybody, that Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. I absolutely promise you, you will have troubles in this world. If you live a life of faith, if you are following God, I promise you there will be troubles in your life. There'll be times the enemy comes against you. There will be resistance. Paul even said this. Watch 1 Thessalonians, when he wrote to them, he said this and that. He said, we wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. That word prevent there, it literally means to dig a ditch across the road. That's what that word means. This is how robbers would attack in Jesus's day. They would literally dig a ditch across a path and then wait in hiding. And so when travelers would come along, they'd have to take their wagon out of the way to try to go around the ditch. And by doing so, they would get distracted from what they were actually doing and they'd open themselves up to be robbed. This is what this word means that Satan prevented Satan dug a ditch across the path. And I think too often times in our life, what happens in the life of faith is we step out and we say, yes, God, I will answer that call. Yes, God, I will take that step. Yes, God, I'll start that conversation. Yes, Lord, I'll start that business. Yes, Lord, I'll start a small group. Yes, Lord, I'll reach out to that coworker and tell them about Jesus. We, we say, yes, Lord, I'll take the step of faith. But then instantly what happens is opposition comes against us. The devil digs a ditch across That suddenly we get our eyes off of what we said yes to, the path that we were on, and suddenly all we can think about is the opposition that came against us. Distracts us from what God had called us to do, from going down the path God has called us to walk. It prevents us. And too many times we get our eyes off of the passion and the compulsion and the thing God has called us to accomplish because we get our eyes set on the prevention. We get our eyes set on the obstacle. We get our eyes set on the opposition. I think so many times, too many times as Christians... We get off track because of the opposition. And so the third one today, as we close, if we're going to live a life of faith, we're going to have to stay in the fight. Because there is a fight. It is a battle, everybody. We're not just playing patty cake, all right? This is actually a battle that we're in. And we talked about this a little last week, that you have an enemy of your soul. You have an enemy that comes against you. That have an enemy that the enemy tries to come against your life in opposition. I think too many Christians misinterpret the opposition that comes when we live a life of faith. Because we say, you know, I try to step out in God's will. I tried to do things, but I must be doing something wrong because now all this opposition has come against me. We say, well, I must be doing something wrong because now I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I, I tried to step out for God. I tried to witness. I tried to do that thing that he called me to do. And then all of a sudden my car broke down and my AC broke. Come on, somebody. And I tried to step out from God, but then I got fired from my job. And I tried to step out for God. And then suddenly that friend of mine that I thought was so close walked out of my life. I tried to step out for God. And suddenly all these things happened to me and we misinterpret the opposition, we think, well, I must not be in God's will. I must not be, I must, I feel like everything's falling apart. Reality is you're probably on the right path because here's something I've learned and that is if you are not facing opposition, you are not taking ground. If we are in a fight, if we're going to stay in the fight, if you are not facing opposition, it means you are not taking ground in the fight. Because we as Christians, we are learning to live in faith and our enemy is attacking. And so when we are trying to step out, when we are trying to advance the kingdom of God, when we are trying, there is an enemy of our soul that wants to fight back. And so, of course, we're experiencing opposition. Of course, we're having adversary. Of course, these things are coming against us because we are in a battle and the enemy knows he's a defeated foe. He knows at the end of all of this, we win. We kick him in the teeth and the kingdom of heaven continues to advance. That's who we are called to be. But stepping out in faith means, of course, opposition is going to come. Jesus said you would have troubles. 
What's the end of that verse? But take heart, I have overcome the world. That we are called to step out in faith. We're called to reach out, to see the kingdom of heaven advance, to see lives being changed. We're compelled by the Spirit. It's our passion that we're called to do. But I think too often times we have opposition. We get punched in the mouth and we want to crawl up in the fetal position and cry, Oh God, why, why is this happening to me? Oh God, it must all be over. Oh God, I just, I can't. Why have you forsaken me? No, it's time to take a punch to get our gloves up and to realize what this calling is that we've been called to, what a life of faith actually looks like. I told you, we're not playing patty cake. This church isn't here to scratch a religious itch for church folk. That's not what we're in. We're in here to change all the course of history by seeing people saved. Because people's lives hang in the balance. You realize that when we talk about this, it's not just some theoretical thing, that people's eternities hang in the balance. That we are called as Christians to spread the gospel. We're called as Christians like Paul, compelled to preach the gospel. We count our lives nothing in order to preach the gospel that's been entrusted to us. Now, this isn't just a game that we're playing, that we are actually at war. We're called to seek and to save those who are lost. That is our calling, everybody. That there are people in our community, there are people around you at work, there are people in your schools, there are people that come around us every single day that are headed to a crisis eternity. And we're compelled by the Spirit. Compelled by the Spirit to look out and to see the pain and the problems and the difficulties because the world has lost its mind, everybody. We're called to reach out because the devil is real and it's our job to preach the gospel and to tell people that I once was broken, but God healed me. To tell people that I once was addicted and God set me free. I once was lost, but now I'm found and God has the same plan for your life. God loves you just as much as he loves me and I promise you he has a plan for you. That's our job, everybody. To tell them the gospel that Jesus died on a cross for their sins just as much as he died for ours. I think sometimes it's too easy, though, to live complacent. Sometimes it's too easy to try to hold it just for ourselves. But if we're going to live with compulsion, if we're going to live the life of faith, if we're going to do what Paul did in his life, our lives are worth nothing, but we are compelled to preach the gospel. If we're going to live knowing that the balance of eternity rests on that, we've got to get engaged in the battle. We've got to stay in the fight. We step out in faith. We live this life God has called us to because eternity hangs in the balance. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Look, I don't know where you are in your journey of faith today. No, in a room this size and those watching.